22, what blows my mind away is that it's written a thousand years before Christ, in a thousand BC. Uh, very clearly we see verse 1 is by David, right? The Psalm of David. And I actually believe it's messianic, okay? Uh, so the way I outline this tonight is not so much going verse by verse or like the, that structure. I think the best way um, for me I thought it would be interesting because I think it is messianic and I think I want to emphasize it's messianic because I actually think Psalm 22 is not the only one that's messianic. Psalm 23 is messianic and Psalm 24, okay? Mm. Uh, I think it's a triad uh, mm. messianic psalm. But it first began with Christ as a suffering what? Servant. Right. And then Psalm 23 is the Messiah as shepherd. Mm. You know, we know in the New Testament, he's often called what? The great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, that kind of thing, okay? And in Psalm 24, is the Messiah as king, okay? And why does he suddenly, was placed here? I actually believe there is intelligent design in the Old Testament, when you look at the uh, prophets. Is if you guys remember, Psalm 20 and 21, where we last left off, we saw it's a royal psalm, right? It's a king going to war, okay? And then 21 gets really, the lines gets blurred a little bit. Like, Wait, is this, is this a man king or is this God? as king okay then which is very appropriate because the messiah will be what a human is fully god that become a human being as king then we're going to see psalm 22 okay psalm 22 is very very important because i think um the jews they believe the messiah would come but they forgot the part that the messiah would first come as what a suffering servant before he is king before there is psalm 24 as messiah's king there must be what the Messiah as a suffering servant. Before Psalms 24, there must be first Psalm 22, and 23, and then 24. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Psalms 22 is still shorter than Psalm 119, right? Yeah, Psalm 119 is going to be very long when we do scripture reading for church for January. Is that correct? And uh, 2020, okay? Yeah, Psalms 119 is the longest chapter in, in the Psalms and the whole Bible, actually, also as well. You guys follow the outlines, and I would encourage you guys to follow along with the outlines that I sent out tonight because um, it's, uh, it's because we're going to also go over uh, other passages outside of Psalm 22, okay? So these are the four points. So tonight it's going to be more apologetics, okay? Um, point number one is Psalm 22. So our whole purpose is we're going to look at four prophetic proofs to persuade you that Jesus is the promised what? Messiah. Mm. And there was an application. It's not just we know. It's so that in the end, what? We will praise Him, okay? If God really came on earth to die for our sin, that shouldn't be a truth that is abstract, that's just head knowledge. The first application we must always have is praise Him. In fact, if you read Psalm 22, the way it ends, it'll be what? A lot about praising Him and worshiping Him, okay? So Psalm 22, I believe, points to Jesus, and there's going to be four reasons why I say this. Number one is according to the New Testament, okay? Because there are some Christians, there's even some Christian commentators that I read Psalm 22, does not think Psalm 22 is about Jesus Christ. But if you go to the New Testament, it's going to say what? It is quoting this and yeah. saying that Christ fulfills it, okay? And these are normal? Or they're kind yeah, of even, uh, or the liberal definitely is out, out to oh, much. Yeah, we yeah. Know but even yeah. some evangelical that I think have some, a little bit more, um, a little bit more left-leaning tendency okay. in scholarship. And then also some, they try to be so literal that they, they don't want uh, everything to uh, keep on uh, being about Jesus because there's some people that are extreme, right? Everything's about Jesus. Like the tent peg, uh, you know, for the tabernacle, they say like, right. oh, it's right. buried, and then it's uh, on top, and they say, oh, that's all Jesus Christ's resurrection is all there, right? right. Three days and three nights. Sure. So like, oh, well, you know. Right. So I think there's some that overreact. And right. your master seminary, there's some older professor that's like that. Uh, one of my uh, old professor actually don't think Psalm 22 is messianic, mm. and everyone's like, no. And then you know, but he's one of those that uh, if you disagree too much, 
your grade's gonna be affected. But you know, all the students and all the faculty, all the ones, huh, no, it is, okay. Uh, I think it is, okay. So we're gonna first look at the New Testament. Number two, I, what, why I think it's about the Messiah is it is not about David, nor about Esther. I say Esther because the Jewish rabbis actually think this is a prophecy. Uh, but then, because they don't want it to see about Jesus Christ, they say it's about Esther, okay? Um, but we'll say it cannot be Esther for uh, point two, okay? Number three, I would also argue it fits perfectly with Jesus. It fits with Jesus perfectly. Sure. And number four is because of the promised praise, okay? The praise that is Psalms 24, uh, 22 makes only sense if it is really about the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled, okay? By the way, there's even some uh, liberal commentators, uh, most of them say Psalms 22 was a mistake. It's actually two psalms that actually got elided because they look so different. The first half is very gloomy, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the second was like, whoa, it's so joyful. Oh, how could this be? How could it be? Like, is he bipolar? No, he's not bipolar, so it's accidental forged, but they're uh, uh, merged together. But there's no proof that's actually two separate psalms. Then, I actually, th go ahead. Then I can say Isaiah 53 is elided. Yeah, so, but by the way, that's those same guys that also say Isaiah is, there's two Isaiahs. One thirty nine is all bad news, and the other one's joyful, and then there's some. There's three, okay. But it gets kind of schizophrenic. Actually, but I think if you pay attention carefully, the canonical flow, it actually presupposes each other. Actually, when they say, "Oh, uh, one thirty, uh, the first thirty nine chapters all bad news," it's like, no, that's not true too. Isaiah what six? Isaiah seven, right? Uh, right? Isaiah nine, all these other things, okay. And then you say, "Oh, well, the other part is no bad news." No, it's promising that Babylon will be destroyed. God is still God of judge, okay. So I think it gets too weird. Yeah. Too skeptical, okay? In fact, I actually think sometimes modern commentaries, sometimes it looks so thick and an old one looks thinner. Sometimes because what? They play that game. Oh, it's a source thing. It's, we, you know, 2 Isaiah 3 is not real. It's added. It's like, but there's no actual, what is called textual criticism proof. Right. They just say this because... There's, oh, there's yeah. all these things. Yeah, there's no, it, it gets so subjective that eventually, um, under the third wave in the 90s, the Jews I mean, are also even finally say, you know what, this is just too crazy. Maybe you should just look at the text. Okay, so the, the trend of scholarship now is what is called um, both liberal and conservative is what they call um, the canonical approach. It's like all these things are too speculative, but it doesn't help us interpret. But let's just assume it's united. So that actually allows a wave of a lot of conservative scholarship because of this um, trend right now. Because it got too crazy when it say, oh, it's not this and that. Okay, so let's go back on. Um, let's look at let's look at our first point. My first point is this. I think this is messianic because if you look at the New Testament, it makes it very clear. It is uh, a prophecy, okay? First and foremost, Messianic Psalm exists. Believe it or not, there's some Christians that say Messianic Psalm don't exist. But that would be contrary to who? By the way, who's the best teacher you should ever go to learn about how to interpret God's Word? The Bible. The Bible itself? Good, okay? God, the, the Bible itself. But if there's a person, yes, Jesus Christ, okay? So let's go to Jesus' first Sunday school, okay? Jesus' first Sunday school, the day He resurrected, okay? Turn with me to Luke 24, verses 44 to 47. I wish there was a MP3 that recorded yeah, yeah. Jesus. Luke yeah. yeah, Luke 22, verses 44 to 47. Luke 22 or 24? Luke 24, sorry. Verses 44 to 47. I've been saying a lot of 22s because I really like all those messianic prophecies that are, are, or messianic types that's in those 22 chapters of different books, okay? But let's say Luke 24, verses 44 to 47. Josh, you look like a happy, motivated reader to, to read that passage. Go ahead. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses mm. and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of an indictment. Yeah, then it's it, not no messianic psalms. Yeah. Yeah, if you say no messianic psalms, then it says, yeah, psalms. That's like, right. whoa, that's strange, okay? 
Um, now again, not all of them are liberal. I have one really old professor. Why he said it is because he's uh, trying to uh, he's reactionary to those people that say everything is about Jesus, right? Um, where they never ever preach a text. Every sermon sounds like a New Testament sermon, <laughs> okay? Every sermon just sounds like the same three point. You know, you're sinner, uh, Christ save you, and that's it, right? Um, I even heard one terrible sermon uh, on Judges. You guys remember the Judges uh, 19, the part of uh, the, what do you call that, um, the Levite. You're, and then the woman that got chopped off. And that person says, that, that Levite is Jesus. And I was like, oh, uh, I don't know if I want to say a bad husband is Jesus, right? He says, no, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, okay? And I was like, no, I don't want to go there, right? Yeah. We, I don't want to say Jesus would neglect someone being raped and then just the next right. morning we'll wake up, okay? Right. And that would be cool of that, okay? I don't think that's the best way to interpret that, okay? Um, so that's weird, okay? So let's go back on. Um, there is Messianic Psalm, though, okay? Uh, notice the prediction. If you look at verse 46, it even predicts that Christ would suffer and rise again, okay? If you guys remember Psalm 16 when we were looked at it, I think Psalm 16 was messianic and pointing to Christ's resurrection and the use of acts uh, makes that argument, okay? But here it says it must predict also a suffering, okay? So in light of this, I'm not going to go through the whole thing of the outline. Let's go back also as well. Um, so if you guys can't tonight, put your pinky or thumb in Psalm 22. We're going to be flipping through the New Testament and Old Testament a lot, okay? So put your pinky, uh, turn with me to Psalm 22. Again, when we get to Psalm 22, put a bookmark, okay? Uh, your pinky, your tax return form, um, your receipt, whatever in there, or bookmark, your cell phone. Psalm 22, verses 7. Could I have Ben be my motivated reader? All who see me sneer at me, they separate with the lip. Mm. They wag the head, saying... Yeah. So remember what we mentioned, the observation Mr. Byrne pointed out. Wow, this is like Christ suffering on the cross, right? Yeah. Then put your pinky at them and turn with me to Matthew 27, verse 39. Josh, you look like you're, uh, you're speedy for tonight, okay? Uh, could you be my speed reader to read Matthew 27, verse 39? Again, put a pinky in Psalm 22, a bookmark, because we're going to flip around a lot New Testament, okay? Uh, Matthew 27, verse 20, uh, 39. And after twisting the glitter, a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt the tongue before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Yeah, okay. So you see here in verses 39, um, they were passing by, hurling insult, wagging their heads. What does that sound like? That sounds like a reference to Psalm 22, okay? Uh, if you guys could also still turn with me also as well, back to Psalm 22, but put a pinky in Matthew 27, you know, where we just read. Okay, so we're going to look at Psalm 22, verses 8 now. Um, Noel, would you be able to read verse 8? Also, Nancy, are you there? Okay. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Okay, thank you. And then, Nancy, now could you read Psalm, uh, Matthew 27, Matthew 27, verse 43? Yeah, so this is, if you, in verses 8, we see the, the crowd mocking the person that's suffering, right? But then now you see that's quoted, okay? Uh, putting in the lips of Jesus' enemy, even as he's hanging on the cross, okay? If you're in Matthew 27, still look with me in verses 46. Uh, Mr. Byrne, would you be able to read Matthew 27, verse 46, if you're still in Matthew 27? And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, 
Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yeah, thank you so much, okay? Um, he's reading, what is he quoting here? Psalm 22, verse 1, okay? 22, verse 1, okay? Um, so you see, um, there's so much reference, okay, with this. Um, turn with me to John 19, verse 28, okay? John 19, verse 28. Um, John 19, verses 28. This will be the last one. Uh, the outline that I sent has a lot more, but for the sake of time, these will be the ones we look at, okay? Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put it on the sponge full of the sour wine. Yeah. Yeah, so you see that he's been given uh, with that, okay? Um, so you see, uh, uh, again, you know, this is prophecy happening, okay? Uh, this is uh, prophecy happening. Look with me in verses 28. I'm going to read verse 28, right? It says, oh, to fulfill what? The scripture, okay? So it's not incidental. They're not just using echoes just to make it nice literature. It's actually, the thorial intent is what? That this is prophecy, okay? So if you believe the New Testament, if you believe Jesus Christ in the New Testament, would you, would you have to be forced as a presupposition to say there is such thing as Messianic Psalm? Same yeah. Like yeah. And if Psalm 22 is not a Messianic Psalm, what other Psalm is Messianic, right? Correct, correct. If Psalm 22 is not Messianic, what other Psalm could be Messianic, okay? But I don't, uh, and by the way, uh, for the sake of time, we're not going to look at it, but Hebrews 2, uh, 12 also quotes Psalm 22. Okay, but let's move on for the sake of time. Let's go to point number two. Uh, so, by the way, I bring this to say is this. Why is, is the New Testament still helpful? Um, I, I know I use this analogy all the time. A long time ago, I was working security before I joined the Marines when I was a PCC student. Uh, we worked a lot of premieres, and I don't know no celebrities. And my boss always thought it was so funny because I know no celebrities. I remember the first time uh, when, our, when Jimmy Kimmel's show first started, right? Uh, even I turned Jimmy Kimmel away. Uh, before people finally said, "Hey, that's the man that you know," um, but my boss thought it was so cool, you know. For, you know, the guy said, "Hey, fire this guy," but my boss said, "No, no, uh, yeah, yeah, I will discipline him." But then he said, "Hey, gotta move you over." But you know, you get to still do your uh, homework and mm. stuff uh, just at the stage door. But that's pretty cool that you would stop everyone, even mm. <laughs> person that looks like authority with that. Okay, but going back on, I remember one premiere we worked, and I stopped this woman uh, where I worked the one line. There's line with the A actors, right? The one that actually did the movie. And then the other line are the, all the people with the, what do you call it, the, the name tags. You know, like your influencers, the people that are going to write reviews, your, your journalists, your, um, you know, second tier guys that's involved, you know. So then, you know, I was tunnel visioning because I was, you know, looking at all the bags and everything. And then this one person came all dressed up, which is kind of weird. Huh? Mostly really dressed up when goes the other line. And then I was, but then I, was, I wasn't looking at face, and I was just looking whether or not they have tags. And I stopped this person, and I hear my earpiece. Everyone say, "Jimmy, no, don't! What are you doing?" And then my boss ran over, and then that was actually the the main actress, okay, uh, for the movie Raising Helen with Kate Hudson, okay. And then they finally said, like, "Hey, don't you know?" And then my boss says, "Okay, I know all the time. Most of the time, it's pretty funny, but this time, man, you gone a little too far." 
because you should have known. And I said, why? Why would I? I, I, I really don't know. He's like, no, no, no. Jimmy, look behind you. You know, like Hollywood, they have those big, huge searchlights. Uh-huh. You know, and then they had a big, huge uh, billboard of her over there. And they're like, if you only turn back and see, that's her. I, I don't need you to know every celebrity, which is, which is pretty cool. But at the same time, look behind you. That's her in big, huge face. Her face is plastered all over there. How could you not have known her? Right? Just turn around and look. But that's like us. That's like us. We don't see the New Testament pointing and say, look back, and there is already proof that this is the one that fits perfectly as the Messiah, okay? So now let's look at point number two. I also want to go further and say, I would actually say we don't need just the New Testament alone to know this Messianic. By the way, the Jewish rabbis interpret Psalm 22 as Messianic, and they don't believe in what? The New Testament. Have we already turned back to Psalm 22? Yeah, let's go back to Psalm 22, okay? Uh, but the other reason why I think it is... So if it's me- Messianic to the Jewish, they believe it's the Messiah, it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, they believe it hasn't happened yet. No. Some more, uh, in medieval ages, they tried to, especially with a guy named, if I remember correctly, Rabbi Rashi, they were trying to stress it's, um, this is around 980, they tried to stress that this was Esther. Mm, also, as um, but you also see enough of rabbinic literature before the time of Christ and after the time of Christ where people were still saying this is messianic. Yeah, right. uh, I actually do think David probably, again, this is not conclusive. I think David might have hints at this, just because I feel the more I study the Psalms, the more I think the be- the presupposition is the Davidic covenant, which also promised that there will be one that will come, a king. Mm. Uh, you know, obviously some kings are bad because in the Davidic covenant they say, hey, these will be disciplined, but there's one that will reign forever also as well, especially in Psalms 89, okay? Let's go on. So, so point number two is, what's our, our second point in the outline? Point number two is what? It's in... Psalms 22 points to Jesus and therefore not about David or Esther. Yeah. And the reason why I'm going to argue is this. When you look at the detail of Psalm 22, some of the circumstances never occurred in David or Esther's life, okay? Um, some of these events did not occur in even David's own life, and therefore that probably eliminate that he's the one, okay? Likewise, these events did not occur in Esther's life, some of these events, some of these circumstances and details. Therefore, I don't think it's also talking about Esther's. What are some of these? Uh, look with me in Psalm 22, verses 16. Psalm 22, verses 16. Uh, could I have um, Josh read that? Uh, For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. Uh, they pierced my hands and my feet. Okay. Yeah. By the way, uh, Ben Watts, you could hear me tonight, right? Yes. Okay, I just want to make sure, okay? So, does any of your version in verses 16 have a footnote? I'm just curious. Yeah. Uh, does it say anything else? Mm, okay. Some of our, Yeah, like a lion, okay? Um, that's because in Hebrew, the word like a lion kind of looks the same thing as pierce. Um, but I actually think it is pierce. And some of your versions don't have that because uh, there is a manuscript that's found even earlier than the Masoretic one, the oldest one, I think, by uh, several hundred years, that they just recently found actually translate this as uh, uh, Pierce. Because I say this because some Jewish rabbis today, like those anti-counter-missionaries, Jews, they would say, oh, the Christians made it m- misinterpret this, like Pierce. By the way, if it does say Pierce, is that a pretty far- powerful argument for oh, Christ? Yeah. Yeah, right? With all pun intended, that nails argument shut. Ha, 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 okay? With all pun intended, okay? By the way, this is not the only nail prophecy in Scripture, Pierce prophecy. Isaiah 53, verse what? 5. Oh, yeah. Zechariah 12, verse 10, right? Uh, they'll look upon me whom they've pierced, okay? Mm-hmm. Those passages, no, there's no dispute. It's lying. And also, in the Greek translation of Psalms 22, all the Greek translation did not say like lying. You know what they said? 
they say peers, okay? Which shows some of those uh, things predates uh, the New Testament by 200 years, okay? So I think it's very clear um, with this uh, that this is when... Did, let me ask you guys the question. David, did, uh, do we read anywhere that he was pierced his hand and feet by his enemies? No, okay. Um, nor Esther, right? By the way, they surround him so much they even divide his garments. You see in verses 18? Uh, and verse, they cast clothing. Yeah, they cast his lots for clothes, okay? Now, we read of David sneaking up to King Saul, cut a piece of his clothes, right? right. But we don't read that they divide his garments, they surround him so much, and they cast lots for his clothes, okay? Uh, none of that, okay? Um, we read Esther, someone tried to grab his, her clothes, and then later the king got really mad, right? This misunderstanding, right, with that evil man, Haman, uh, that kind of thing, right? But we don't see they're casting lots for clothes, okay? So I would say it is not. By the way, uh, look with me also as well. I think this is pretty interesting. Verses 9. Verses 9. Yet you are he who made me from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast, okay? Mm-hmm. So I actually think this is the Messiah talking in the first person. I remember many years ago when I was evangelizing, someone would say, I don't like the New Testament because how can Jesus never speaks for himself? It's always someone else give a word account. There's no in the Bible that is spoken from the perspective of the Messiah. Is that really true? Mm. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who's speaking? The Messiah. Mm. When it says I, that kind of thing. Same here. When he says in verses 9, that I have trusted you from my very womb. Okay? Now we're sinners from the womb. This is not David. Okay? Mm. This is not David. And by the way, the Jewish rabbis, they look at this. They actually, uh, if you're looking at the outline, I'm going to quote now from the Talmud in a book called Shabosh uh, 53 verses B. Okay? They, they quote this verse and said this, When Mordecai adopted a newborn Esther, he could not find a wet nurse for her. Okay? So remember, Mordecai is what? The uncle? Okay? So this is what they believe. This is really bizarre. Okay? Haman miraculously caused milk. Hashem, that's a, uh, what they do for the Jews is, um, they would not use the word uh, Yahweh. They would cover it up to not take his name in vain. That's like their legalistic interpretation. Okay? So they say, God, or in, in the writing here says Hashem, miraculously caused milk to gush forth from Mordecai's own breast. And he nursed her at the Miliga, as the Miliga relates. And he was a nurse for Hasha. She is Esther, his cousin. For she has no father and not mother. Do you guys understand what they're saying? No. They're saying this is Esther. And then they're like, oh, oh this is kind of weird because it says that if this is Esther, then she has been nursing to the mother. And then she probably doesn't have a mother according to the Jewish oral tradition. And therefore what? Therefore, God miraculously caused um, Mordecai to grow breasts that's able to oh. nurse him. Now, let me talk, stop here. Is this kind of bizarre or what? Yeah. Okay? But, by the way, uh, the more I read of the Jewish rabbi's writing, the more I can kind of see why Jesus got so angry. Okay? You know, even the Jewish rabbi's writing is this. If, if a woman burns his... Uh, bur- uh, if the woman, the wife cooks food and burns the food, um, that's actually ground for divorce. <laughs> Okay. Sometimes we all think the Jews were all these Pharisees. Yeah, but they're inconsistent. Every legalist, remember, say this after me. Every legalist, every legalist. is inconsistent. Okay. Inconsistent. Every legalist is a hypocrite. They might be strict on every areas, but then what happened? They don't live it up to it. Number one, and number two is then their other areas are very loose. Okay. So the legalists and the libertines—they're nothing more than cousins of unbelie- They're unbelieving cousins. Okay. So looking at this, I think this is also bizarre. How bizarre it is that they'll go so far. To try to say this is Esther to the point it's like uh for me I just feel if I was a Jewish rabbi I would have just said you know what she yeah she had a mom and then the mom died later on I don't know why they don't do that but I think the scripture is true um, those in unbelief God gives them over to their mind sure, okay sure. to to stumble 
as a judgment, okay, as a judgment. Not God just wants to stumble people just to stumble, but as a, a judicious act of their unbelief already, okay? So let's go back on. Um, there's also as well, I want to make this point that there was never a point where all the circumstances simultaneously at the same time in David's life or Esther, okay? So when you look at verses 6 to 18, there's actually 18 circumstances. It's a very dire situation. Some of these things you might say, oh, it might happen at one point in his life and another point. But none of these happen all simultaneously, these 18 points, okay? If you look with me in verses 6, there's a reproach of men and despised by the people in verses 6, okay? They're sneered at in verses 7. People shake their heads at him in verses 7, okay? I'm not going to read it. I'm going to summarize for the sake of time. Okay, we've read this before, uh, earlier, okay? They're mocked, right, verses 8, by having people say things such as, let God deliver him and God rescue him, okay? They're surrounded and encircled. That is surrounded by evildoers, okay? All of his bones are out of joint. Yeah, okay? Uh, people open their mouth against him, okay? He feel like he's being poured out. All his bones are out of joint, okay? That's so specific, okay? His heart is like wax and melted. His strength is dried up in verse 15. His tongue cleaves to his jaw in verses 15. He lays in the dust of death in verses 15. They pierce his hand and feet in verses 16. He can count all his bone in verse 17. People are staring at him in verse 17. And they divide his garment in verse 18. And also verse 18, they cast lot for his clothes. None of these all happen all simultaneously at one in the life of David or Esther. But it did for who? Christ during the crucifixion. Okay. You ever play the board game Clue? I love the board game Clue. I love a good mystery. What do you do for the game of Clue in order to win? Process of elimination. Yeah, who? Yeah, by process of elimination, right? The the little paper you have, like, okay, this cannot be okay. By process of elimination, same thing. We've eliminated Esther and we eliminated David. One candidate necessarily stand, and who is that? Jesus. Jesus, the one we call Christ. Okay. So, in line of this, I think by way of positive illumination, it must be Jesus, okay? Jesus. Psalms 22 must be David. Back in the day at UCLA when, you know, Andrew and I used to evangelize, there were a lot of unbelieving Jews, secular Jews, reformed Jews, um, even orthodox, various kind of Jews. Sometimes we, one of the things Andrew taught me was always to read Isaiah 53 and ask them, who is this? And say, ah, oh, that's Jesus, stop quoting me about Jesus. Like, what is he doing in your scripture? The other one is Psalms 22. You read it, even the Jews will be like, hey, what's going on here also as well, okay? So let's go to point number three. What's point number three? If you guys following along the outline, what's point number three? Christ took Jesus and fits with Jesus perfectly. Yeah, okay. It, I know we kind of presuppose this already, in, even as we went along going through the outline. But really, Psalm uh, 22 points to Jesus and fits uh, perfectly. The irony of circumstance fits with Jesus too. Right? Verses 1 and 2, he was abandoned. Right? When you say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet he trusted in what? God in verses 3 to 5. When did he start trusting in God? Yeah. He started trusting God at the moment of his birth. Okay? Verses 9 and 10. Okay? Remember, like at the mother's, uh, you know, in this womb and all stuff. Okay? Now, who has that kind of relationship with God so early in their life? Remember Psalm 51 elsewhere says, We're born sinners, already enemies of God. This child is someone special that even as a little baby in the womb already has a relationship with who? With God. Some of the circumstances are also outside of David's and Jesus' human control. Okay? Uh, you know, one, it's one thing to try to make yourself the Messiah. But then it's another thing to try to convince your enemy to play the role to make you fulfill the Messiah. Okay? So G Jesus is not the guy that says, oh, fulfill all these things. 
because there are some events that's outside of control, and yet it was fulfilled, okay? For instance, it's kind of hard to make people reproach you, okay, or despise you, okay? Or, or it's, well, it's not hard, but it's outside your control too. You can influence it, okay? But yet that's what happened. They sneered at him in verses 7, and people shake their heads at him when he, what? Died, verse 7, okay? They also mocked him by saying things like, let God deliver him, and God rescue him, verses 8. And he, he was surrounded. Look at verses 12. Can someone read verse 12? Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. Yeah. Now, some people might say, well, how, this cannot be messy prophecy because this is talking about cows. But there's no cows around Jesus' time. I actually think this is a figurative language because from verses 12 onwards, um, David uses different animals as metaphor for the wicked, right? You see cows in verses 12. You see lion in verses 13. You see verses 16 is what? Dogs, right? Why, what, what's the significance of all these animals to say this? The enemy of this person dying is so inhumane. They've become and acted like what? Animals, okay? Uh, like animals. Okay? I don't want to get political, but whenever I read the history, uh, whenever I read the history of Japan, like uh, how they went over Asia, like, you know, like Hitler is bad too, uh, the Nazis. But the other side uh, also feels that, man, the Japanese, World War II, just some of the atrocities you read, it's almost like, and then you see the pictures of their soldiers and everything. It's like doing these atrocities. They look like, can I be honest? They look like dogs. Now, I'm not saying this, you know, Japanese-American, I'm cool with, you know, I have no problem, okay? Uh, with Japanese-American serving World War II and stuff like that. I have no, I'm not a racial thing. I'm saying of that generation, the soldiers that fought, or with some of the units that fought, not all of them. Some of them fought like Marines and they're just, you know, military to military. I'm cool with that, okay? But at the same time, when you look at this, Sometimes people be so inhumane, they act like what? Animals, right? Um, ISIS, yes? Some of those video footage that they have, um, man, it makes my blood boil, okay? <coughs> when they could hurt women certain ways and think it is so cool, and they act like dogs, okay? Um, and when they go down like dogs, I'm actually really, really cool with that, okay? Um, even when we were in Iraq. You know, it's one thing with Iraqi soldiers, you know, when we capture, it's okay. You know, because they're, they're professional too. You know, they're doing the same thing for their country. We are too, you know. You treat them humanely. But man, when there's someone that hurts women and children and all that, like, man, you just feel the only thing that holds back is moral conscience. I say, we cannot be the same thing like them, like dogs, okay? So let's go back on with this. Uh, some of these circumstances, okay? All these circumstances describes, okay, um, things that's beyond his control, right? He can't. If he's just merely human, he can't control people surrounding him. If he's dying, he, they can say, oh, he's not important. They're not going to surround him, right? Mm -hmm. Dividing his garments, okay? Casting lots for his clothes, all of this, okay? Uh, it fits perfectly like a what? Glove to the hands, okay? Okay? So the evidence that a man of verdict is what? That Jesus is the Messiah. Your hope in Christ can be secure, okay? And finally, I think the other powerful proof is this. Um, what's point number four? Psalms points out to all people who will praise God. Yeah. Now remember I said earlier that some liber more liberal-leaning commentators think like Psalm 22 is a mistake. It actually should be two separate psalms that should be divided up, okay? Because Psalm 22, verses 1 to 21, is pretty bleak. It's pretty sad, and if not even depressing. My view is Psalm 22 is probably, quote-unquote, the most depressing psalm. Now, there's other psalms where the, the psalmist cries out for God for help. Mm -hmm. And I could understand trials. 
But what's the worst feeling is more than trials is to be totally what? Abandoned, right? And yet, did you see the transition in verses 22 to 31? What kind of mood is it? It's the exact opposite. It is a joyful mood. Which then leads us to the question, how could this guy suffering? I mean, the last part you see in verses 21 is he's crying out, save me, right? From wild oxen. And then he cries out, answer me. And then suddenly this guy is singing, happy. Like, what's going on, right? Is this guy spiritually bipolar? I don't think that's what's going on, okay? I think what happened is actually Psalm 22, verses 22 onward, only makes sense if it's talking about the Messiah because when Christ died, did death win? Did the enemy win? No. No. He was able to secure a victory, okay? A great victory. Because if you read verses 22 to 31, it's actually a victory song, okay? It matches the mood of Psalm 21 earlier, of a victory of the king's song, okay? And now we're not just celebrating any other generic David, Davidic king's victory. This is we're celebrating the Davidic king's victory, the victory of the Messiah, okay? The Messiah that comes from David that will secure our salvation, okay? So I think why this sudden shift, the only best way to explain this is, look at, I mean, this, this guy, victory, okay? It's not just another king that just barely survived his enemy. Because look at the ramification, Look at the ramification. This is not just affecting his generation. Look at the ramification. This is effect globally and a long point in history, okay? Look at verses 30. Could I, uh, Noel, would you be able to read verse 30? Oh, Psalm 22, verse 30, sorry. Prosperity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming Yeah, so this is his impact of him surviving. It will be impacting future generation. We'll talk about it. You guys see that? Also, look with me in verses 31. Uh, Nancy? Sorry, Nancy, would you be able to read verse 31 if you're there? They will come and declare his righteousness to a people given to form that he has done Yeah, it's going to be that this guy's suffering and his victory is apparently going to be told to even people that wasn't even born when he was writing this, okay? So the question is, what's so important about this guy surviving? And by the way, if you look at verses 31, do you see there's a dimension of righteousness? They will declare his what? Righteousness, okay? His righteousness. Why? So his death and his survival is somehow righteous in God's eyes, and they will be declared. Does that sound like anything we know? Does that sound like the gospel, like Mm. Romans 1 saying righteousness from God, right? Mm. By the way, looking at this also as well, look at how important this is, okay? Verses 23. Verses 23, Josh, you could be my happy, motivated reader. 23? Yeah. You who fear the Lord, praise Him, and all you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. Stand in awe of Him, all you descendants of Israel. Yeah. So apparently in verses 24, this guy surviving, the nation of Israel is going to celebrate. Okay? The nation of Israel is going to celebrate, okay, that God helped him when, when he was crying out. But also, this is not just only for Israel. Look at verse 27. Ben, could you read verse 27? All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. Yeah. Verses 27. Do you see that apparently this is not just only for Jews. This is also for Gentiles. Gentiles where? Surrounding nations? No. All the ends of the earth okay and this is why i actually think david when he wrote this he knew this is about the messianic prophecy because you see the word families of the nations will worship you will be blessed what does that sound like an earlier prophecy in genesis 
Do you guys remember? Genesis 12, 3, Abraham, from Abraham's line, there will be a seed that will bless the families of the earth. Some of the uh, translation translate that as tribes or nations, okay? Word being used here. He's intentionally, deliberately saying this is the Messiah, okay? This is the Messiah that is coming, and the impact would be that even the nations would even be praising him. Look at verse 29. Ben Warts, would you be able to read Psalm 22, verse 29? Is that okay? Psalm 22, verse 29. Is that, are you, have the translation readily available in Arizona online? Yeah, Psalm 22, verse 29. Psalm 22, verse 29. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down the dust will kneel before him. Yeah. Can't keep alive. Yeah, did you see this? This person who suffered apparently the ends of the earth will be eating and worshiping and even bowing down before him. You ever remember uh Philippians where it says that, you know, and one day every knee will what? Shall bow. Bow. Okay. Where did it come from? Did Paul just made it up out of nowhere? Invented Christianity? Where it came from Old Testament soil, right? The seed being planted and now in the New Testament, it blooms like a flower mm. in the spring. But here we see it already began here, okay? Mm. So in light of all this, by the way, verses 31, I really, really love verses 31, how it he ends. Will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who be born that he has performed it. Yeah, that he has performed it, okay? That could be us. Yeah, that we are a part of this, okay? That is declared now, that even right now when we're preaching this, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. But notice, I love the way it says, to a people will be born that he has performed it. Mm. Now, if the Messiah has performed it and he himself says he's done it, Mm. how would he say? If Jesus, you know, if we say he's done it to save us, he's performed it, what would he say on the cross when he's done? It is finished, right? So thus, in a beautiful way, the first verse and the last verse, you can see hints and echoes of the Messiah's final words on the cross. Well, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what's the final one? That it is finished. That it is done. Okay? Okay? In Hebrew, in Greek, it is tetelestai, a perfect verb. What's a perfect verb different than a regular past tense verb? It is hey, the action has been completed, but the result remained, right? Christ died. Dude, does he need to die again? No, it's completed. But does the result remain with us today? Yeah. That our salvation, the effect of our salvation is efficacious. That if you trust in Jesus Christ today, that He died on the cross for your sins, will you be saved? Yeah. The effect remains, but that event is a one-time thing that's been done uh, already. What a beautiful song. What a beautiful Messiah. And even as we celebrate the Christmas season around this time as people think about the, the child being born and here I, I mean this is almost a Christmas psalm too right like that he was since he was a little baby in the womb in verse 9 has already been righteous to die for our sins what a beautiful savior amen amen what a beautiful plan and what a beautiful gospel and what a beautiful God who orchestrated it all